Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. Hey, this is Bash again. Just a quick one. I just want to raise your awareness of a, a fantastic magazine that will help any anybody looking to build and create a, a new business, especially in the tech industry. It's called The Startup Magazine. Check it out. It covers the whole breadth of information uh, f- from finance to legal to sales and marketing. It's well worth the read. So yes, thestartupmag.com. Check it out. Anyway, back to the conversations. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. And I have here with me, Andrea Summer. I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today. Uh, So it's series one, episode eight. And uh, Andrea, if you could be so kind as to introduce yourself, your company, the project you're working on, uh, and a bit of background about who you are and how you got here today. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, I'm Andrea Summer. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Hiverm. We are a technology startup that's female founded and majority women. And we operate in the event space. Um, and we use um, advanced technology and sensor data to help networkers remember the names of everyone that they meet while they're networking at an event. And then we also aggregate this data in an anonymized way um, and provide that back to the event organizers to help them make their events more successful and more engaging. We have existed for about uh, three and a half years. And just uh, in July of this year, the product came out of beta. So we're in the very early stages of commercializing the product. My background is in strategy and technology strategy in particular. I was a consultant um, for many years, both on the marketing side and also on the strategy side, focusing on growth initiatives. I love to grow things. Um, and so, you know, working on something entrepreneurial that's my own is something that's really exciting for me. So what got you to a stage where from moving from a consulting background to building a business? I think I was a little bit of an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, when I was in business school, I, I did this exercise, which sounds completely weird, but is actually super helpful. And I would recommend everyone do it, which is to write your obituary from the point of view of your best friend. And it really helps you think about what is it that I want my life to be about? How do I actually want to spend my days in this world um, and doing? And it really made me realize that I did not want to spend my days being a consultant. Um, I wanted to actually do something that would have more impact to the world. Um, and in particular around technology, which is an area that I've always really been passionate about. And so I, I, when I went to business school, I, I, I went because I wanted career acceleration for my consulting life and my corporate life. And, and in reality, having that um, experience with writing my obituary opened my mind up to exploring new possibilities. And it's through that that I discovered entrepreneurship um, as a possible career path for myself. I attended a lot of events and talked to a lot of people. And that's really how I, how I landed in entrepreneurship. Hiver really originated as a, as a project in one of my courses. Um, and then it kind of very slowly evolved by myself or um, with, a couple, with a couple of small, with a small team. 
to being something that was actually funded uh, by external investors, um, to being something that was, uh, you know, with a bigger team. And then eventually, last year, I quit my um, full-time job as a consultant, and I took the plunge into the murky waters of entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on doing that. And uh, I'm sure the journey was quite uh quite stressful at times they're quite challenging it'd be good to drill into a bit more about a hive of the company and also the experiences you faced uh, and had uh, when going through the the funding itself so it, for, for the benefit of the listeners uh, and myself when engaging with investors how did you go about sourcing such investment and the, the key people that could help yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I, there were two, two factors that really um, were influential and key in, in really shaping the way that I've raised investment on both the rounds that I've done. Um, mm-hmm. The first is making the conscious decision to, to only bring in what I call smart money rather than dumb money. That's not a term that I invented. It's not a term that I borrowed from someone else. But what I mean by that is actually bringing in investors who have experience and who can actually help me build um, the business rather than just investors that just bring money. Mm-hmm. And so I try to do that as much as possible by bringing investors that have either tech or event um, experience or who are also very experienced in investment themselves so that um, we can tap into those networks um, to grow the business and to, you know, for the fundraising round itself. The second thing that I think was really important is to really have a, uh, a lead investor early on, as early on as possible. I was really lucky that one of my professors in, in business school um, who taught one of the entrepreneurial courses that I took is actually an investor and he's um, on the chair of, of, um, of EC and he's also an angel investor himself. And, and, you know, he really was fascinated by my project and became my lead investor very early on um, in the kind of life of the business. Um, mm-hmm. And he, and he, because he's so experienced um, and has so many contacts was very instrumental in facilitating those initial introductions that helped us get um, the initial momentum that we needed um, to, to raise investment, because I think with investors, it's, they, investors never want to be the first one, um, you know, to put money in. They they are a little bit risk averse, and sometimes a lot risk averse. Um, and so, having a little bit of early traction can really help attract um, investors that might otherwise be reluctant um, to put money into your business. So, having a good a good advocate um, is really important. That's great insight and recommendation. Thank you. And uh, what validation you're going through your your course at London Business School and the instructor invests in your business. Wow, that's better than getting an A plus or A star (laughs) on a piece of paper, isn't it? You know, in the course, you sort of like learn, you're going to skim over like the investment part. And then when when push comes to shove and you actually have to raise money, you're like, how does it, how is this actually done? I'm not entirely sure. I know how this is actually done. Um, and I think that that you know, I just met him for for dinner and was just like, can you actually talk me through how this actually is done? <laughs> and at the end of the dinner, he was like, why aren't you going to ask me? And I'm like, uh, ask you what? And he's like, if I'm going to invest. And I was like, oh, <laughs> didn't know I could ask you. <laughs> and then he's like, well, ask me. And I'm like, why are you going to invest? And he's like, yeah, duh, that's why I'm here. So it was really funny. As a rising star in the technology technology industry, as a woman, uh, there are other <laughs> challenges that are being faced institutionally across the industry. Yeah, uh, it'd be great to get your views on how you've overcome them yourself, and uh, how do you press on despite certain stigmas that may still exist in in certain organisations. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the stigma is per- 
pervasive. Um, it's 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 almost everywhere. And I think um, bias, and in particular gender bias, is something that we all are afflicted with, men and women alike. Um, so it was very difficult, I think, in, especially in the early stages, for me to get comfortable with actually being different. My uh, my initial inclination and my initial experience um, raising investment was, you know, I was probably the only woman or maybe one of two women that were pitching in a pool of 10 businesses. At first, I felt really intimidated because I was like, well, they're not going to, no one's going to invest in my business. I don't look like they do. I don't talk like they do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just so different. And and actually, what I realized is that that difference is actually a differentiator. And that means that hmm. While there may be 10 businesses presenting, at least the two women who present will be really memorable to those investors, whereas the other eight guys in suits may be a bit of a blur. So I actually started to really tap into that, that difference. And, and, and rather than try to sort of smooth it out, I tried to emphasize that point and really talk openly about being a woman um, in, the, in tech and a women entrepreneur and, and the challenges around that. And I think a lot of investors feel that they have a responsibility to change the way that, um, that, that the investor community behaves. And so that attracted investors who are really supportive and who really believe um, in, in the, the ethos that, um, that I've built my business around. So it's really, I, for me in particular, it was about trying to stop being something that I wasn't and really step into the, the person that I was um, to, to make mm. myself more attractive um, as an investment opportunity. What's the focus at Hiver and what ethos are you driving through through the business? We're, as I mentioned, uh, a majority women organization. Um, I mean, we're only a team of eight, so, you know, it's not, you know, crazy like thousands and thousands of people. But I think taking a really active stance in, in, in including diversity into your um, platform and into your culture is super important. And I, I don't mean just gender diversity, although I, I personally am in particular passionate about um, raising the number of women in technology and entrepreneurship, I think diversity of thought is also really important and diversity of background is equally important. So having people of different ages, of different nationalities, of different orientations, as well as different genders is super important. For me, I take a really active stance in that process and I try to, as much as possible, ensure that the recruitment process, um, from the recruitment process all the way through the way that we um, do our goal setting and just general management experience is as unbiased as I can make it from using the appropriate language and the way that we advertise roles um, to ensuring that anytime that we're interviewing candidates, that at least one of the candidates is a woman. And actually my rule is that two of the candidates need to be women because I don't want a, an interviewed woman to be the, the token woman and therefore be um, experienced biased against or towards that person. Um, mm. And really taking that active stance um, to bring different kinds of people into the organization who not necessarily agree with you. I don't really want to build a team of people who just say yes to me. I want people who will challenge my thinking and in doing so will improve the product and will improve the experience that my customers have. Great. And uh, I, I myself have been a user of Hiver at an event and I've never worked so hard in my life. <laughs> uh, it is it, fantastic in, in the way that you're able to view the individuals that you want to meet but may not necessarily have the courage to go and say hi if you did yeah. not know who they were in the first place yeah so could you tell the listeners and myself how did you come about the idea to solve this particular networking problem 
Yeah, I, it came about really from a very personal problem, which is that I have a very, very bad memory. I never remember anyone's name. I introduce myself to people sometimes multiple times. One time in business school, I introduced myself to the same person three times. Um, and that's really when I realized I have a problem and I need someone to help me. I need some kind of technology to help me. And I really couldn't find anything to do that. And so decided to actually build it. Um, I think that remembering people's names is something that I'm not the only person to be afflicted with um, and to struggle with I, as, as our lives become more fragmented. You know, we're spending more and more time networking, meeting people, time on social media. You know, our time is so divided. Our attention is so divided. And so remembering is just becoming harder and harder. That's really the impetus for building Hiver is just to solve that very personal problem, which is I want to network more effectively without it being a completely embarrassing experience every time I, yeah. I re-meet someone. Yeah, it's a very good point. So what's next? What, what, what's the current situation for the business in terms of customer acquisition? Yeah, so like I said, we were, we're in the very early stages of commercializing our product. Um, for the last 18 months or so, we've been doing a lot of free events to try to get um, user feedback, make sure that the technology is robust and scalable. Um, so in July, we, we exited that beta stage and officially started to commercialize. And we have a few clients that are paying under our belt. And our aspiration is just to grow that, um, both in terms of the event size and also um, in terms of the amount of revenue that we're generating. So really looking for events that are you know, 50 people or above um, and um, into the thousands uh, and really looking to serve customers uh, with technology and with, with really smart analytics to make sure that when people are going to an event and they're networking, they're having a really good time. They're meeting the right people, um, they're making the right connections, and they're not wasting um, their time or money um, attending something that's not going to be valuable to them. That's mm. the plan. And it's very clever because the people who are attending the event and experiencing the, the new way of networking, the value to you as an organization from a network effect, the viral nature of I've experienced the use of Hiver, who also work for businesses, these people work for businesses that also run events. It, I suppose it's compounding value. Every event you service will mean there could be 10, 15 plus individuals that would become leads for you. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and we, we actually um, have the vast majority of our customers at the moment are customers that were referred to us by people who have used Hiver, uh, which is an amazing testament to the usefulness of the technology. Um, so we must be doing something right if people are liking it so much that they'll recommend us. So. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in terms of scale, then there's an opportunity to scale very rapidly. Uh, what's your view on how you're going to scale and uh, access as many customers as you can as quickly as you can? Yeah, we want to continue really um, tapping into that word of mouth experience and not really bite more off than we can chew. Um, so I want to be quite conservative. I tend to be a little bit more conservative with my growth aspirations um, than perhaps some founders are. Um, and I really just want to really continue building a product that is scalable. We, we're at the stage right now where we can service uh, events around 750 users. Um, and the technology needs to continue being built in order to, for us to be able to serve users in the thousands. So, you know, I really want to make sure that we continue um, tapping into those recommendation engines. And also, we're really big believers in inbound marketing. So we, we want to continue to create content and to engage with audiences on social media um, and with our customer audiences as well to ensure that they're coming to us um, rather than us having to spend a lot of time trying to find them. So our, our aspiration is really to create um, an engine 
that has influence and, and it says interesting things so that people will be interested in the product and will come and want to find out more. I, I've been on your website, hivertech.com, and I've noticed there's a number of very key customers already publicized. Yeah. Uh, who, who are they for the benefit of the listeners? We have several customers um, from our beta stage and also from our initial commercial stage um, who we've worked with. Uh, we've worked with Google. We've worked with London Business School on a number of projects. Um, we've worked with TEDx as well. Um, and a number of other sort of early adopters. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we're running an event for a company called Diversity Lab, which is based in the US. Um, and then at the end of September, we'll be doing an event for London Sport, which we're super excited about because this will be our first event in the sports industry. Okay, so what are the recommendations you could give to the listeners who are currently building and growing a business? I think the main thing is to just stay close to your customer and really continuously understand um, what your customer needs. Um, a lot of organizations and a lot of products are built in a vacuum, um, and that's just a waste of time and money and engineering uh, brains, basically. Um, so staying close to the customer is important because it enables you to build something that people will actually want to buy. Uh, so that's my, my biggest piece of advice is just to really be like laser focused on your customer. Yeah, I agree totally. Uh, I, I think the, closest, the, the company closest to the customer always wins. Yeah. Uh, very strong believer in that. Yeah. Um, okay, excellent. And you, you mentioned um, the sporting element. Uh, is there a particular sport or exercise that you do yourself? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an avid yogi. Um, I practice yoga six days a week. Um, but I, I love being outside and I love you know, having the fresh air. Um, and I think exercise is one of the, the key, key success factors um, in my formula, at least. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, taking the time to actually reflect and, and you know, recharge is super, super important for long term success. I'm a true believer in that as well. And uh, to ha have the ability to take yourself mentally and physically away from the business to reflect is so, so valuable. Yeah. What are your objectives in terms of number of customers you acquire from now in, and then the next 12 months? Yeah. What sort of revenue yeah, would you be looking to achieve? It's kind of hard to say um, how many customers we want to have in you know, 12 months from today. I think um, it really depends on the complexity of the customer. I think my, my bigger aspiration rather than volume is really to be able to service customers for bigger and bigger events, because I think that's where the data is going to get really interesting um, and where the value is going to really be uh, extracted from that data. So, mm. I, so for me, I think the, the bigger question for me is not necessarily, you know, having thousands and thousands of customers, but really making sure that the customers that we of the product um, of the product evolving um, when we have a ton of new features that we want to incorporate as well. And I think with bigger events, um, those features will become even more relevant. Hmm. For the listeners who are maybe prospective customers of yours, uh, what's the sort of business model that you have in terms of cost? Just that, not necessarily the cost, but how do you structure your, yeah. your licensing? We, we, tr we have two, we, we structure things in two ways. Um, we can either, service an event, um, uh, a standalone event, um, and having them having people rent the wearable um, and then create creation of the event instance within our connector tool 
and also um, an analytics report, and that can be done on a per-user basis. Um, if you're an event organizer that looks at events that are um, serial, or if you, you, you run three or more events per year, you may be useful to look at a license, and we do offer licensing as well, um, in which case the wearable can be purchased and, and the customer can run as many events as they want. Um, and the, the connector, which is the key part of the technology is available both as a standalone app and also as an SDK. So if a customer is using other event technology or other apps, but they wanna have our functionality to support that, then we can integrate our technology into that as well. So we don't really displace other networking tools or networking apps. We, we really complement the experience. That's really clever. So in terms, in terms of the, the licensing, is it a, a one-off purchase or would you look to license as a subscription? Model it's an, for an, the it's an annual license, yeah. So um, in an annual license. And within that, there are different tiers of the number of events that can be run and the number of reports that are generated. So we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't really be generating reports for 500 events, for example. We would create a subset of reports depending on the event needs. And is there any particular book that you're reading at the moment or listening to? Yeah, I'm, I'm a really big reader. I, I love reading and I love... Um, you know, learning about new things. And I try to be um, very eclectic in my, in my, in my book um, decision-making. Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm reading a really interesting book called Education by um, Tara Westover. And it's a book about um, a uh, woman who's raised in a survivalist family um, and then her struggle for achieving um, education um, and leaving her family behind. And I think it has a lot of really interesting threads around sort of like the kind of survivalist experience, but also the kind of female struggle in a slightly different way than the tr traditional kind of feminist type of book that I, that I tend to read as well. And so I'm reading that. And in parallel to that, I'm also kind of trying to power through. I'm a really big fan of science fiction. And I, and I try to read sometimes a couple of books at the same time, depending on how my, how my mood is. Um, I'm also reading um, A Scanner Darkly, which is... Um, uh, one of Philip K. Dick's kind of famous novels. So I'm trying to power through the classics as well in parallel. Very well read. <laughs> <laughs> Based on what you know, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? <laughs> I would do so many things differently. <laughs> Pretty much think about, about doing something different every day <laughs> of my life. Um, entrepreneurship is is such a, an emotional roller coaster and is such a, a world of uncertainty. Um, there isn't really one thing that I would have done differently. I think I would maybe maybe this is a strange answer, but I think I wouldn't have done anything differently. I would have done everything in exactly the same way. Um, you know, but the key for me is making sure that I learn from my mistakes and 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 I do things differently the next time around. Right. So everything that everything that has happened has taught me something and has taken me. Uh, into an interesting part of the journey. So uh, there's not one thing that I can think, oh, I wish, really wish I hadn't done that. Um, I think, you know, generally think, speaking, I think ensuring that people, bringing the right people into the business is something that has to be done properly. Um, you know, I, I, I had a situation in the past in the business where there, there was a person in the business that I should have fired much earlier and I, and I didn't. Um, so maybe that's something that I would look back and think, yeah, I should have done that sooner. I know it's a, an uncomfortable area to, to speak about. And you mentioned firing somebody much earlier. I hear that across a number of entrepreneurs. Yeah. What was it in particular that made you feel they're not a good fit to the business? I need to essentially cut my losses and let them move on to something else. 
I think the main thing was a mindset issue. Um, when, the, when this person was hired into the business, um, I wasn't as diligent about doing a culture fit um, uh, assessment on them, uh, which, which actually, uh, in hindsight, was a big mis mistake on my part. Um, but it became apparent after just a few months that the, the mindset was not the kind of mindset that would really successfully navigate a startup. They were someone who really uh, needed a lot of guidance and a lot of predictability and had a high level of discomfort with uncertainty. And those are just not things that, that you can really offer in a startup. If you need, if you're the kind of person who needs stability and predictability, don't come work in a startup. There's no such thing. You know, there's no day that's predictable. Every day is different and you're constantly changing directions and shifting gears. And so you have to really be energized by that controlled chaos. Um, and mm. this person was absolutely not. They were. They had a, a complete fixed mindset um, and a huge discomfort for anything changing. Um, and 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 I, I. And it wasn't fair to them or to us. You're very kind to share that. Thank you very much. The there's a, there's a question that I'm being quite selfish now. I want to learn this myself. Uh, as an organisation growing, scaling, you you've got loads of different areas requiring your attention. Uh, as the CEO and founder, uh, from funding to product development to sales and marketing. How do you go about managing your time, which is the most valuable asset, to then maximize the effectiveness of the use of that time? Yeah, I mean, time management is something that I think all entrepreneurs struggle with. Um, I try to be really strict uh, with my time. Um, and, and, and just use uh, what I call the interstitial time, which is, you know, commuting time and, you know, and like waiting time to kind of get a little, little bits and bobs of work done as well. And really taking the time to reflect as well, which I think is super important and not enough people really um, carve that into their days. Um, I think the fact that we are a really flexible organization, we're 100% uh, flexible. You know, we, everyone has the opportunity to build the schedule that they want for me, helps me manage my time because I don't feel like I'm constricted with having to work within kind of a nine to five paradigm. I can, you know, go to my yoga class in the morning and work before that or after that and just really flex, um, you know, my work around the needs, my personal needs as well. And everyone in the organization can do the same. So for me, flexibility is really the crucial piece. Some people are morning people. Some people like to work in the evening. Um, I'm not going to force people in a box and I certainly don't want to be forced, forced in a box either. And I don't want to have to compromise on the things that make me healthy and happy. Mm. So it's, for me, it's just really important to, to really bake in that flexibility um, as a way of ensuring that you can get everything that you need to get done in a day. Well, I wish, it, I wish more businesses had that focus and philosophy that it would be game changing for a lot of people, I think. And in terms of productivity as a net result, uh, I think there'd be a step change. Yeah, it's really hard for organizations to trust people, I think, um, and to really focus on output rather than presentism. I'm not really entirely sure why that is the case, um, that, that organizations tend to be so naturally skeptical. But the, the, the benefits, um, you know, are, are amazing, um, both in terms of people feeling engaged and, and passionate and happy, um, which to me is, is, is a testament that we're doing something right. You know, when, you're, when, you're, when your team is happy, and growing and, and doing amazing things, then, then clearly something's working, right? Absolutely. Well, I think, I think we've covered off a lot of grounds. Thank you so much.
for sharing your insights, recommendations, learnings. Would you be happy to come back in 12 months time? Yeah, absolutely. I wish you every continued success. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe. And until next week, cheers. Cheers.